You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Well, good morning, Vine family. It is a joy uh, to be here with you, gathered wherever you may be, uh, however you may be listening this morning or later today or sometime this week. It is a joy uh, to be with you as we are now in week four of this life of prayer that we're doing with uh, Madison Multiply. And I don't know about you, but um, it's been encouraging listening to these sermons, uh, but even more so just seeing um, how God is uh, building his church in Madison. If you remember in our building, right, we have those three signs, gospel, community, and mission. And often we talk about we want to be a church that's planning churches, among neighbors and nations, and by God's provision, by God's grace, what I, one of the things that I'm seeing in this series is like we're seeing God's faithfulness and provision. As, 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 as we see, we join with these two other churches that God has planted here in Madison, this is what we've been praying for. And we were just talking uh, in a Madison Multiply meeting just this week. What, what would happen if we have another church that's planted? How would we fit everyone together to preach? And I said, let's just pray that God multiplies our churches in Madison so that every neighborhood has gospel-centered uh, churches where we can invite our neighbors, our coworkers into. So I find it immensely exciting, encouraging to be part of something much bigger than just the vine. But this is God's work here in Madison. The hope that we can have is churches coming together uh, to share that with each other in our community. So as you know, we've been in a life of prayer, and we've heard some really good messages. I know I've been challenged. Um, we've heard about just to pray, pray our Bibles. What does that mean? What does that look like? Um, last week, how to lament. How do we do that well? And in future weeks, we'll, go, we'll be listening in of praying like a child, and how to kingdom, kingdom-minded prayers. And these are very rich, biblical, and, and godly wisdom for all of us to apply to our personal prayer life. And, and today, for our time together, I kind of want us actually to kind of take a step back from maybe this focus of, of how to pray and simply ask the question, what if I don't feel like praying? What if I don't feel like praying? I mean, what, what if I don't have it in me to, to get down on my knees and to pray for this particular thing or, or that person? I've certainly felt that at times in my life, and it's this idea of prayerlessness that I want to get after today, prayerlessness, and I wish it wasn't such a long word. I struggle with words, but prayerlessness, meaning why don't I have the desire to pray as I ought? Why don't I see in my own prayer life matching that of the apostles in the New Testament, right, who say to pray without ceasing? Who, who describe in their own lives this idea that they're wrestling with the Lord in prayer for others. Why don't I see that in my life? Well, as I was preparing for this sermon this morning, I, I ran across this quote, and I thought it was really helpful. This pastor said, For many people, prayer is something like an oxygen mask on a plane. That prayer is something like an oxygen mask on a plane. 
a plane. And it got me thinking about my own experiences in flight. And when Emily and I first got married, I'd only flown a few times prior to that time. So when we boarded that first plane ride together, I remember looking over at Emily and she was just a bit surprised at how intently I was leaning in to the instructions of the flight attendant, right? You know, when you board the plane, the flight attendant gives the instruction speech, right? It's, it's kind of crazy now thinking back, but I actually located, right, where they said the oxygen mask would drop out. I was actually located, where, now where is that spot that it's going to be coming down from? And when they say, hey, look around, see if there's any younger kids or older folks that may need help, like, I actually looked around to see who was sitting beside me. And I know this is really crazy, but as the flight attendant was describing, like, how to put the mask on properly, I was actually trying to do that. And I know that's crazy, but at that time, I'd rarely flown. So for me, I could not imagine not knowing what to do. I was, in a sense, desperate to know what to do in case of an emergency. Now, fast forward nine years, and now rarely when I board a plane do I even acknowledge that there's a flight attendant, especially as they're going through their instruction spiel and especially how to wear an oxygen mask. Why? Well, over the years, I've now heard that same safety talk presentation. I've heard it over and over and over and over In fact, I'm fairly confident I probably have it memorized. I don't need another lesson. I I got this. And and more importantly, in the thousands of miles of flying now, I've never needed that mask. I've been perfectly fine, and I've been perfectly safe without any need of using that oxygen mask. Perfectly fine and perfectly safe. But I want us to be honest with ourselves. Isn't that how we often view prayer in our lives? Glad, yet we can come to God should there be an emergency. Glad we can come to God. But thankful that on our own, we've been fully able to manage our lives in such a way that we do not need to depend on prayer. And so maybe as this prayer series was announced, you had the thought, oh, pastor, preacher, like not another series on prayer. I've already heard the instructions. I, I, I frankly, I know how to pray. I, I've been good without much prayer in my life. I, I've got my five-minute prayer routine down, and I don't need another six weeks of maybe feeling guilty for the lack of prayer in my life. Well, here's the deal. And and borrowing these words from another pastor, I think, is really um, important. The quote is this, There is nothing that tells the truth about us as Christian people so much as our prayer life. And I believe that, that prayer tells the truth about us as Christians. That prayer tells the truth about us as Christians. Because it's by our prayers that reveals the truth about our love and compassion for others. It's it's by our prayer that reveals our faithfulness and our fight to see and know God more in our lives. And so I've been praying for our time together. I've been praying for our time together to, to transform our understanding of prayer. 
to transform any sort of understanding that, that views prayer as, as merely an, an oxygen mask reserved for emergencies, to transform that inadequate view of prayer, to see prayer rightly as by something that we cannot live without. So would you pray with me as we continue this morning? Father, we do commit this time to you. Lord, we need you. Would you open your word to our hearts and our heart to your word? Lord, prune back the hedges of unbelief or distraction or whatever is in our way from seeing you, Lord. Help us. Help us, Lord, in these moments to see you and that we would have a humility to receive from you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, here is where we're going today. I'm going to ask three questions. First, why is prayerlessness a big deal? Number one, why is prayerlessness a big deal? Secondly, what does prayerlessness reveal? And then thirdly, how do I overcome prayerlessness in my life? So, so why is it a big deal? What does it reveal? And how do I overcome prayerlessness? Are you ready? So first up, why is prayerlessness a big deal? Well, a thousand years before the birth of Jesus, there was a guy by the name of Samuel. And I know many of you know Samuel as a prophet, as a judge in Israel's um, uh, history. Certainly there's two books named First and Second Samuel in our Old Testament. And, and Samuel led during a time not that great in Israel's history. Uh, but Samuel was a man of prayer for his nation. And you can see and, and read his impassioned prayers as you read through the book of First Samuel. But as Samuel grew older, the people of Israel became anxious for change. They were tired of being led by a prophet. And as it's recorded in First Samuel, they want to be like all the other nations. They want to have a king. So God tells Samuel in chapter 8, he says, hey, go ahead, Sam. Go ahead, give them a king. It's going to be trouble, but go ahead and give them a king. And so Samuel, as we know, anoints Saul as Israel's first king. And sometime within the transition of power from um, Samuel to Saul, I couldn't make sense of the timeline, the people of Israel actually awoken to the evilness of this request. And they plead to Samuel in chapter 12. They say this to Samuel. They say, hey, Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for your servants so we will, we will not die. For we have added to all our sins the evil of what? Requesting a king for ourselves. And within Samuel's reply to the nation of Israel, Samuel says this, As for me, this is Samuel talking, As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I think this is a remarkable statement by Samuel. In essence, Samuel saying, hey, you know what? I've always prayed for you. Even when I was uh, frustrated or discouraged through this, re this process of requesting a king, I, I was praying for you. And you know what? I'm never going to give up praying for you because to quit praying is what? For Samuel, he says it's a sin against the Lord. So, so, so why is prayerlessness a big deal? Or, or is prayerlessness a big deal? Samuel certainly thought so. So much so that he regarded prayerlessness in his life as what? As a sin. 
And, and I think we do well to, to learn from Samuel. And I want us to be honest. I want us to be honest with ourselves. Reflect maybe on a time lately where, where some, someone shared a prayer request with you. Maybe it was at a, a, a city group, right? And someone, we're going around the circle maybe, and someone shares a prayer request. And often our response is, hey, I'll, I'll be praying for you, brother or sister. I will make sure to be praying for you. And I don't know about you, but often for me, sometimes I reach the car door, leaving the meeting. I've completely forgotten who's said a prayer request, what the prayer request was, and even that I've committed to, to be praying for them. Or how many times as a, a Christian brother or sister, maybe it's a missionary from afar or somebody who's been going through something, they come up to you and say, hey, brother or sister, thank you for your prayers. It's, it really meant a lot knowing that you were praying for me, only to realize, uh, you know, it, uh, to yourself, like, wow, if only they knew how little, to, to maybe zero times they actually prayed. See, see, why do we fail to pray as we really should, especially for those that we care so deeply about? Our, our spouses, our children, our friends at, at work, our coworkers, our neighbors. I think Samuel shed some really important light for us this morning. Because, because most of the time when we consider the lack of prayer in our lives, we just we shrug it off. We shrug it off and just say, hey, oh, I have an overcrowded schedule. I'm, I'm way too busy. Maybe I have this personal weakness and just like sitting still. I don't know how to sit still. I haven't developed this. But Samuel goes further than that and says, the, identifying the prayerlessness on his part, he identifies it as sin. Meaning our lack of praying is, is most likely more serious than just being too busy or, or having poor time management skills. That our lack of praying is, is more serious than just, I don't know how to sit still and, and quiet myself. You know, Consider Jesus' own instruction regarding prayer in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says this, in, in teaching them, he says, You are always to pray and not lose heart. Luke 18 verse 1, in teaching to his disciples, he says, You are always to pray and not lose heart. And the word ought there implies what? A moral obligation, a sacred duty, that prayer is a responsibility that Jesus here is placing upon his followers. And in the Christian life, we know that Jesus says there's a few things we ought to do, right? We, we ought to give our money regularly and sacrificially to support God's work. It's a sacred duty. It's a responsibility we're given. We ought to obey God rather than people. When we're forced to choose between God and, and, and a person, we obey God. It's uh, uh, obedience to God first is a sacred duty. And we know that husbands ought to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands ought to gladly and joyfully sacrifice for the wives. It's a sacred duty. And, and we can think of more, right? But these are just a few that came to my mind as we consider the things we ought to do in the Christian life. So just as sure as we ought to give or, or ought to live rightly or to love, so also we ought to pray. So why then is prayerlessness a big deal? Because not praying as we ought opposes the very thing that Jesus instructs his followers to do. And here's the deal. Whether it's not loving our spouses as we should or not generously giving our monies as we should or ought, whether the failure to, 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 of not living as we ought in our Christian life, that failure almost always is a result of sin in our lives. 
And here's the truth. Sin will always keep you and I from prayer. Sin will always keep you and I from prayer. Emily and I have now been married uh, nine years, and one of the things we had to do early on, it seems kind of silly to just even say it like this, but one of the things we had to learn early on was we had to learn how to fight, not like take each other down or out, but we had to learn how to fight. And, And I know that sounds silly, but in those early days of marriage, those early months of marriage, when one of us sinned against the other, it was all so common where, you know, the door is slammed and the other person's walking out of the room like there's no desire to be in the same room with each other because we're so angry at each other, right? We had to learn how to fight. We had to learn how to get past the hurt and shame and come towards each other to seek forgiveness and offer grace so that the bitterness and anger didn't further seep into our relationship, which it so easily did in those early days especially. So this is what I'm getting after. When Emily and I wrong each other, when we sin against each other, even to this day, our most natural tendency is to avoid each other. Our most natural response is to avoid each other. Our desire to, to come together, it, it, it's really lost because sin strains relationships. It fractures the oneness of our marriage. That's just what sin does. It fractures relationships. Remember the garden. Remember the, the perfect relationship, the communion between Adam and Eve and God, right? They were naked and felt no shame, but Adam and Eve sin. And what do they do? They go find fig leaves and hide. They're ashamed. You see, that perfect communion between them and God had been breached by their sin. And so they hide. They attempt to avoid God, avoid any chance of having to talk to God. And we're no different when we sin. We do the same thing. We sin, we hide from God. And we're a bit more clever than Adam and Eve. I don't see many of us trying to find fig leaves and trying to hide behind those. But we all have this natural response of hiding. Maybe we hide behind busy schedules. Maybe we, we hide behind our work or family responsibilities. Maybe we even hide behind the ways in which we serve our church. But the bottom line is we all hide. Sin affects our relationship with God. Sin will always keep you and I from prayer. So why is prayerlessness a big deal? Because our failure to pray reveals unrepentant sin in our lives. And for the outward sin, the sins maybe we're maybe even thinking about right now, such as sexual immorality or drunkenness or some big extremes of greed that we see play out, maybe, you know, we're thinking of that. It makes a lot of sense. If we're in that sin, we're not going to pray, right? It makes sense why we struggle to pray if we're in some sort of unrepentant outward sin, But I want us to challenge us to go deeper than outward sinful actions, which we need to repent of, yes and amen. But let's go beyond our sinful actions and consider the sinful attitudes of our heart. The sinful attitudes of our heart. Because our prayerlessness, whether it's been for a season of time where we just don't have it in us to pray, or whether it's about a specific matter in our life that we just don't have it in us to pray through, whatever it may be, our lack of prayer always reveals a deeper issue in our hearts that's preventing us from communing with our Heavenly Father. And if we can identify, honestly identify those sinful attitudes of our hearts, then we'll be able to grow in our prayer life. 
So what does, our second question here, what does prayerlessness reveal in our hearts? What does prayerlessness reveal in our hearts? And I think that I find three common uh, heart, sinful heart attitudes. I think one, there's a proud heart. Secondly, I think there's a selfish heart. And thirdly, a faithless heart. A proud heart, a selfish heart, and a faithless heart. Let's run through these real quick. A, a proud heart. A proud heart, right, is consumed by self. I Meaning a proud heart leaves no room to God. In fact, the psalmist in Psalm 10 says this, Psalm 10, 4. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek God. For all his thoughts are, there is no God. All his thoughts are, there is no God. If our hearts are proud, we're not going to pray. Because a proud heart says, hey, my way is better. A, a proud heart says, I'm, I'm self-made. I am what I am because I created it. A proud heart says, I don't need help from anyone. A proud heart is ultimately a heart that gives God the middle finger and says, I know better. Sure, God, you, you may have a plan, but I can, I can speed it up. I can make it better or I can find more pleasure elsewhere. That is a proud heart. Secondly, prayerlessness is a sign of a, of a selfish heart. And a selfish heart is it's consumed by self-interest or self-gain. In James chapter 4, verse 3, James says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend on your own passions. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend on your own passions. If our hearts are selfish, we will not pray. Or at least our prayers, as James says, will be spent on self-interest or gain. Because when you're selfish, you're thinking of yourself. You're not thinking of others, right? You're consumed with yourself, your desires, your passions, your interests. A heart that is selfish is all about you. It's a heart that cannot see past yourself to pray for the needs of others. It's a heart that does not have time for others, meaning a prayerlessness is selfishness for the pastor who does not pray through the process of preparing a sermon for his people. Prayerlessness is selfishness for the father and mother who does not pray for their children, for their salvation, for their every need. Prayerlessness is selfishness for the church member who does not pray for God's grace in the lives of other church members battling sin or discouragement. Prayerlessness is selfishness for the Christian who does not pray for their neighbors, that God would give them opportunities to share the hope of Christ, that God would save their neighbors. Prayerlessness is selfishness for, for all of us as brothers and sisters in Christ who fail to pray for uh, our fellow brothers and sisters around the world facing persecution. Prayerlessness is a sign of a selfish heart, a proud heart, and lastly, a, a faithless heart. And a faithless heart is a heart that's wandering away from God's truth. A faithless heart departs from one's belief in God's promises. In John chapter 15, verse 7, this is Jesus talking. He's saying this, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for me. This is Jesus saying, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Abiding in Jesus is, is simply faith, believing on his words. 
Asking whatever you wish is prayer. Therefore, when we fail to believe God's word, his promises, we wander from his truth. We will not pray. For there's no prayer apart from faith. John Calvin called prayer the chief exercise of faith. That is why when when faith is alive and surging through us, prayer doesn't feel like a burden or obligation. It's, It's natural because prayer is the natural conversation of our faith to God. You hear that? Prayer is the natural conversation of our faith to God. One pastor says it like this, the things you pray about are the things you trust God to handle. The things you neglect to pray about are the things you trust you can handle on your own. You see, a faithless heart is a departure from believing that God is good and trustworthy, failing to trust God to provide all things in your life. I find that prayerlessness reveals these three common sin issues of our heart. A proud heart, a selfish heart, and a faithless heart. And I want us to be honest today, myself included, to take inventory of our own prayer life. Maybe this to think back just this past week, or if it's easier, just this past weekend, these last two days. And have you felt your heart in one of these three places? And be honest and ask yourself these questions. How have you seen your heart these past few days be too proud to pray? How have you seen your heart be too selfish to pray? How have you seen your heart to be too faithless to pray? And we don't just ask these questions once and be done and move on, but I think we ask ourselves often and on repeat these questions of are our hearts in one of these places? Because thirdly, the question is how do we overcome prayerlessness in our lives? I don't know about you, but often, at least my first attempt at fixing prayerlessness is to try to be more disciplined in prayer. We look at heroes or mentors or or peers who seem to have that vibrant and powerful prayer, prayer life, and we figure the solution must be doing exactly what they are doing. Or perhaps if I get up earlier, right, or download the newest prayer app or use a new acronym, I'm going to fix my problem. Methods are necessary. Methods are beneficial. But more discipline in this sense is really just a sense of false hope. Because the issue here, it's not necessarily in our method or form. The issue, as we're discussing, is in our heart. Therefore, we we seek to root out the reason for the lack of prayer in our heart so that we can repent and turn to Jesus in faith. Because as Christians, as I said at the onset, we're, we're quickly, we're, we're prone to write off the lack of prayer in our lives as simply being too busy or having poor time management skills or not having an ability to, to be able to sit still. But Vine family, we need to look beyond these, what I think are surface ideas, though they may be true, and be awoken to the reality that our lack of prayer so often reveals a sinful attitude of our heart. Because all of us, myself included, have hearts that can can quickly become too proud, too selfish, too faithless to get down on our knees and pray. 
And therefore, like any sin, we need to recognize the sin in our lives and to repent and turn in faith to Jesus. It's not a matter of simply saying, well, after this sermon series on prayer, I'm going to make some new resolutions and I'm going to pray more. Because you don't deal with sin like that, do you? You don't commit a, a sin and say, well, since I committed that sin I don't, and I don't want to commit it again, I'm going to have to try harder and do better. But no, in humility and faith, you come to Jesus and you repent. We confess to Jesus our proud hearts, our selfish hearts, our faithless hearts. So Vine family, are you willing to come over and over again in humility, asking God to reveal your pride and and faithlessness and selfishness? Are you willing to allow God to reveal the ways which your heart has contributed to a lifestyle where you're maybe saying scattered prayers at scattered moments and that's it? Are you willing to lower yourself and repent of these sinful heart attitudes and turn to Jesus in faith? And I want you to hear this this morning because this is good news. That you and I were never too sinful to pray when your prayer is a prayer of repentance. Did you hear that? You and I are never too sinful to pray when you pray a prayer of repentance. Because that's faith. And God's grace is greater than all our sin. And as we turn in faith to receive His forgiveness, it's only upon that grace in which we're able to make any change and move towards the things of Jesus. Fine family, may we never be content just to sit in a season of prayerlessness. May we never be content just to sit in a season of prayerlessness, but we, may we be a people who fights to recognize why we fail to pray. That we quickly repent of our sinful heart attitudes which are preventing us from our communion with our Heavenly Father. May we be like Samuel who says, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray. You know, I began our time by talking about people who often look at prayer as an oxygen mask, meaning that prayer, it's, it's there for the crisis. But rather than thinking of prayer as that mask, we must believe and live as, as, as if prayer is our very oxygen, that we cannot live without prayer, that we cannot get a day past without it, that we believe the words of John 15, 5, Again, Jesus saying, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. But here it is, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you believe these words? That apart from the work of God in our lives, that you and I can do nothing. And I'll be the first to raise my hand and confess my own failure to faithfully recognize this reality in my everyday life. For for if we rightly saw ourselves, then we would understand that apart from God's work in our lives, you and I are like the one on the plane who's, who's spiraling out of control, headed straight towards destruction. That's our reality apart from God. And what is the one thing all those on a flight gone bad have in common? They're desperate. 
And it's desperate people who pray. Desperate people realizing the truth of their reality are the ones who will pray. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. It's our tendency to think that we're better than we really are. You see, our prayer life or lack of prayer life, it tells the truth about us as Christians. As I said earlier, prayer, our prayer life, it reveals our love and compassion for others. Our prayer life reveals our faithfulness and fight to see and know God more. Prayerlessness is an open declaration that we don't need God. But prayer every time signals our rightful, needed dependence of God. That apart from His mercy, His grace, His mighty power, we're sunk. That's why throughout Scripture, Jesus keeps saying, He says, keep coming to me, keep seeking me, keep asking, keep knocking. May we, Vine family, be a people desperate for God's work in our lives. And I know some of you today, wherever you may be, have maybe never seen your need for God's forgiveness, for God's gift of forgiveness. And I know it can be hard to admit that very fact because you most likely have heavy defense reasons for why you don't need Jesus as your Savior and Lord. But I pray even in this moment that God will break through those defenses and you'll see Jesus as your greatest treasure and joy in your life. And if you've never received Jesus as Savior, you can do that from wherever you are. You can reach out to us online through the chat. But you can ask Jesus to save you, to ask Him for His gift of forgiveness. And for those of us in Christ, I think of the words of Jesus, who says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Brothers, sisters, how prone we are to wander from the things of God's kingdom, from the things we ought to do as Christian men and women. And so I want to close at least my time with you by just giving you a few moments, an opportunity to talk to God. And I know maybe at home it's maybe a little chaotic, and maybe you have to do this later on. But if you have the space built in, I I want to give you just a minute or two just to say to God the things you need to say to Him. Maybe you need to confess something. Maybe you need to praise Him. But you pray to God, and I'll wrap us up in prayer, and Zach will come up and close out our service. But let's pray. Well, gracious Father, we are thankful that you are our Heavenly Father who invites us to come to you, that you've made a way uh, that we can know you through your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we are eternally grateful for that gift. And Lord, I pray that we'd be a people who regularly and consistently and faithfully fights to to not be content in seasons of prayerlessness, but that we would take um, every possible way in which to commune with you. Lord, help us to root out the sin in our lives, whether it's an outward sinful action or an inward sinful heart. May we be a people quick to repent and turn to faith in you. Lord, may nothing get in the way of our relationship with you. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.